When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, so many Americans have fallen behind on their payments during the pandemic. We're going to talk about the latest news on mortgage and auto loans. And later, I want to share with you some positive news on the employment front, because there is some really great news on that front. So state of Texas just uh, decided that they are going to ignore the federal regulations on evictions and evictions are starting to take place across the state of Texas. going to mean a lot, a lot of people, uh, hopefully who can uh, bunk with a friend, move in with a relative, uh, find a shelter, hopefully not end up on the streets or living in cars but it is an economic fallout from coronavirus. And, you know, Texas is not the bad guy in this, even though CDC extended the national eviction moratorium through June. States are uh, one by one, and a lot of judges in uh, local jurisdictions are saying, we're not paying any attention to that. We're going to evict people. The reality is there is financial assistance that ultimately is for landlords to cover rent that tenants were not able to pay, but there's not enough money to go around. And a lot of landlords kind of have their backs up against the wall. They want their places back. There are no winners in this. This has been just an ugly, ugly thing. And as I shared with you months ago, the evictions were going to be a trailing indicator that the irony was we would be recovering economically from the pandemic when the homeless problem was going to appear. As I'll talk about later in today's podcast, the job situation has already turned and turned hard in favor of workers, but people who suffered so heavily, the 50 million or so people who suffered with unemployment, are are in deep holes. They can't really easily dig out of and the evictions are going to be part of the picture whether they happen now like in texas or in other local areas where it's not statewide but local judges are saying you're out of here and um, those things will be going on and whether it happens in april may it's certainly going to happen in june and it's It is a national tragedy because you think about the children who did nothing wrong other than breathe, and the parents in this case because of the pandemic, it's not their fault that their employment shut down, but those kids are not going to have a roof over their heads, and that really, really troubles me. There was another economic stat in the last week that uh, industries reporting 
a huge uptick in the number of people who are delinquent on their auto loans, especially people with lower credit scores who are more risky to start with, have not been able to pay on their vehicle loans. So you think about that one-two punch, you get evicted from the place you live and you lose your wheels that would allow you to get to employment because in so much of the country, you have to have a car to get to work. I mean, this is a really, really difficult time. There's also a pattern though with the vehicles that are being repossessed, the vehicles that are delinquent. And it's something, Krista, we've talked about for how many zillion years when I've talked about the length of loans that people take out. One important lesson to take from all this with the vehicles is never, ever, not ever be a payment buyer. When you are a payment buyer, you're dead in the marketplace because what happens is you're not focused on what you should be, which is how long that loan is going to be. And the reality is the longest auto loan you should take out is 42 months. You take out longer than 42 months, you end up in the situation, all these people that are delinquent on their vehicle loans, they're upside down the vehicles with a big loan obligation owing much more money than what the vehicle's worth. And you're between a rock and a hard place. Uh, I love it when somebody says, hey, I want to buy a vehicle, whatever price point it is, where I won't have to make a payment. That creates financial security. A vehicle loan longer than 42 months creates severe financial insecurity. And the people now taking out 72-month auto loans, wow, you have painted yourself into a corner big time. Because if anything hiccups in your life financially, you are burned. And so remember that rule. It may mean that the vehicle you have your eyes set on, your heart desires, well, you don't get that. Maybe you buy an older vehicle. Maybe you buy not as fancy a vehicle. Because if you can't make the economics work at 42 months, you can't make the economics work. Period. And speaking of this, Krista, you have an update for us on Josette, which is one of the most horrific stories of elder abuse I've heard in a good while that involves a lease, a vehicle loan, and another vehicle loan. Yes, it's really sad. And some people have written in with suggestions because I read her question last week and on the podcast, and I followed up with her because I was so disturbed and just wanted to see what we could do. And it turns out she hadn't told us the entire story. Um, She's 77 years old, and she was at the end of a lease on her car. The lease was supposed to be up in um, earlier this year. And she, as it turns out, this is the real, the, the true story, Clark. She had only put 15,000 miles in this lease in three years, but she was ready to get a different car, even though the car was in great shape. As it turns out, she ended up going to a dealership. They put her in a new car. That's what she wrote us about, a 72-month loan. She bought out her lease instead of turning it in 
She would have owed nothing if she turned it in. She bought it out for way more than the car was worth and was upside down, loaned that, uh, rolled that into a loan with the first dealership, drove away with a new car. And we should point out the, the car that she got, they sold to her for $12,000 more than it cost. It was a new car. And they wrote it up for $12,000 more than it costs and wrote an expensive long-term loan. Well, I think, you know, this dealership has been very cooperative with, with me when I've called them. And as it turns out, it was just a lot of the, the upside down because um, she was upside down in the car that she had leased and turned into them after she had purchased it from the manufacturer. She was $5,000 upside down on that. And so, yes, there was, it was, it's not pretty. And she's in a loan with them for way more than the car is worth. Then Wait, a, but it gets worse. A week later, she's so sweet. She didn't want to tell me this, but she went to another dealer for a different automobile and ended up buying a car there, even though they seemed to know that she had this brand new car and they put her into a 78 month loan on another car. And she still, so now she has two cars and that 78 month loan was at 7%. She had great credit before. So she now has two new cars sitting in her driveway that she cannot afford. She makes $1,600 a month, Social Security. That's and all how she old can is live she? on. She's 77. So the vehicle payments added together plus the insurance and stuff is more than what she actually brings home in Social Security every month. Yes. And so I'm trying to figure out if she can turn in the second new car she bought, if there's a possibility of that since she didn't do a trade-in. Um, but she put $5,000 on a credit card there and 2500 on a credit card at the first dealership. She doesn't have any of that money. So, you know, I'm going to do my best to try to see what she can do. And it may be, as you said, turning the cars in. Um, but in the end, I feel like it is a cautionary tale. If you have relatives, you've got to check on them um, and see what you can do for them to help and, them. And, through this and stuff. truth is during the pandemic, a lot of older uh, people have felt isolated because they have been. You know, their kids haven't been able to visit them. Their grandkids haven't been able to visit them. And there's been a certain loss of touch. And also, as we age, our ability to make financial decisions will deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And so this is a situation where there were some salespeople and finance people at two different dealerships that took terrible advantage of an aging person and one has been cooperative with us at their corporate office. The other has been stonewalling us. Mm -hmm. They said, if you and I get involved, it will quote unquote muddy the waters yeah. to her. They're trying to get her. They're trying to actually come down, take her, the Honda from the first dealership back. They're telling her they can help her turn it in. They want to come to her home. And I said, absolutely not. So uh, the questions we've been trying to figure out is, this, uh, this is a situation in the state of Florida with Florida's elder abuse statutes. Have the people at this dealership violated the law at either of the dealerships? And second, I would love for one of the TV stations locally to have their investigative teams to go stick a camera. Yeah, this lady is so sweet and she was beating herself up and I just love her so much. We've been talking all the time. So hopefully we can we can do something, but check on check on your relatives, please. Yeah, and as soon as everybody's double vaxxed, go see your aging relatives. Uh, they need the connection to family. They need those hugs again. They need to be face to face. It 
it is an important thing. And I know there are people in the United States that are skeptical of getting vaccines, but I'll tell you with the elderly, the uh, hospitalization rates and the fatality rates have been dropping like a rock as more and more shots get in people's arms. And it's making it possible for families to reconnect again. So uh, I'm sorry we did not get to any of your questions. This is something that's been troubling us so much, though, about what happened to Josette, what's happening to her. And I think there's so many cautionary tales mixed in with this. Plus what I was talking about, about all the people going into delinquent status or having repos of their vehicles in these long loans and it involves doing your homework for buying a vehicle we've got a really good step-by-step guide about how to go about the process of buying a new car buying a used car and in both cases it always starts with the financing she was actually in the finance departments at each dealership for six hours at the first one they gave her a little lunch as she sat there and then for four hours at the second one That's why you always, 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 without exception, you arrange your financing in advance at a credit union or as an inferior choice at a bank before you ever, ever set foot in a car dealership, period. If they can match what you've gotten, they won't be able to match a credit union loan rate, but they can match one from a bank and you want to give them the business, that's fine. But you do your homework in advance so you don't become a sitting duck. And coming straight ahead, I am going to get to your questions. And I want to give you some very positive news on the job front before we do that. So how about some really, really great news? Unless you're an employer. Jobs are roaring back in the United States. And we have multiple factors at work all at once that are going to make the 20s potentially a golden age for workers. And first on the pandemic score, as the economy opens up state by state by state, and remember, it's not what governors say, it's the actions people take and people are voting with their feet and their wallets, and they're resuming activity. I went this morning to pick up bagels at a bagel shop near us, and I think about my odyssey through the pandemic when it was a ghost town going into the bagel shop. This is one that has both a a restaurant and where you can just pick up fresh bagels. And... Over the last three months, I've seen more and more activity in the bagel shop. This morning, virtually every table was full with people dining inside. And the parking lot of the shopping center was really busy at 7.15 this morning. And there is a shift in the marketplace. And employers are getting caught suddenly going from, I can't afford to pay anybody, to I can't find anybody to work. And the unemployment problem in the United States that we had particularly a year ago, that is so rearview mirror now. 
and employers don't want to hear this. I, I had an, uh, somebody with a company asked me the other day, what do they do? Their service standards are dropping. They just can't find workers. And I said, I said, I know you don't want to hear this, but workers now are going to have the upper hand and it could go on for years and employers are going to have to benefit up and pay up. And that's the reality with an aging workforce in the United States. And we don't have, we just flat out don't have enough workers for a lot of the jobs that the marketplace is offering. And employers are going to all kinds of lengths with training programs where they're training people and the skill set they need, or they should if it's like a factory environment they can't find workers, offer people free training. Skill them up or work with a local community college or state technical college to skill people up so they can fill those jobs. Now, the other thing is there are a lot of economists that believe that the U.S. economy, after growing way below its potential for years and years and years, is poised through this decade to see greater economic growth due to productivity increases. Productivity is one of those things that's why economics is so dull. Economies only can provide a better life for their workers, for their citizens, if what those citizens can produce per person goes up. And the technology which we all are wary of is actually poised to lead to higher productivity of workers. I know a lot of people have been worried about technology uh, killing their jobs. But actually, that's not how this is going to play, at least for the foreseeable future. Yes, there will be people who lose their jobs because of a new automation system or whatever. But there's going to be more jobs created and there's going to be fatter paychecks for people as the economy becomes more efficient. And I'd say the odds, and you know, I am an, I'm an incurable optimist. That's just who I am. I am Pollyanna, but I think this time I'm Pollyanna with facts behind me. And I think we're going to see a significant improvement in what people can earn, the quality of life they can have, and it will deal with some of the incredible income inequality we've had in the United States for a while. And if you know your history, if you did not sleep through history class, you know we went through a similar cycle a little more than 100 years ago where we had the robber barons, a small number of Americans who made enormous wealth while other people had basically nothing. And we've been through a modified version of that over the last couple of decades. But I think that era is coming to a close, not through social engineering, not through the political process. I think raw economics is going to bring about that kind of change. And Krista, with that having been said, 
Let's take some questions. All right. I'm going to lighten the mood a little. And I thought it's that was time. light. Okay. It's time for Judge Clark. I love Judge it when people Clark. ask you to weigh in on their marital disputes. Mike in Texas says, Clark, my wife is absolutely set on installing a pool at our house. We have a year's worth of salary saved and invested in mutual funds. My wife wants to take $55,000 out of savings to install a pool. This will leave us with $55,000 left in savings and very costly depreciating asset. Please help me convince her this is a terrible idea. Our retirement savings are in good shape, so no worries there, but I'm having a hard time swallowing this cost. My kids are nine and seven, so we would get about 10 years worth of use before we turn the pool into an extremely large flower pot. So Mike, you live in Texas. Having a pool is potentially a very good idea in Texas. And making your wife happy is also always a good idea. Wiping out half of your rainy day account, not as great an idea. So is there a compromise you can reach? Let's say you come up with a compromise where you build a $40,000 pool instead of a $55,000 pool. It doesn't have to be an ultra fancy pool for kids to be happy. I mean, come on. Kids till they're like five or six, they're happy with a little blow up pool you get from Walmart, right? So your kids have a pool, maybe not as fancy, but get her the pool. Your kids will have such great memories of being able to swim in that pool year after year. And you're right, pools are a money suck. They just, not just the cost of building them, I know we have a pool, uh, the money just keeps disappearing in pool maintenance and repairs. But you already said you've saved what you need to be saving, you're well on target towards saving for retirement. So I think you do this pool and where you get a little bit of comfort back is you build a little less fancy one Everybody wins. She wins mostly, though. Mike in Georgia says, my children were movie extras and have received paychecks with taxes taken out. Can I open a Roth for them for the gross amount or only the net amount? It's under $6,000 in either case. Gross amount. So you open up those Roths, you fund them, Mike, with that money from the paychecks plus what you're going to add to bring it to the full earned income from the work. And doing that for children, you think about that money doubling over on average over the decades invested in like a target retirement fund with a low cost provider. And that money will double on typically every eight to 10 years. So you get a big head start getting that money in when the kids are young, go for it. And I recommend that you do this with one of the low cost companies like Vanguard Schwab or Fidelity would be three excellent choices. Terry in Georgia says, I have my credit frozen with the three major credit agencies, but recently I heard about others, Innovis, SageStream, CoreLogic, and LexisNexis. Do these have any impact on credit reports? And if so, should I freeze them if available? Great question. You can go nuts freezing your identity everywhere. I don't even know how many dozen minor credit bureaus there are. Um, you mentioned Innovis. They are probably the one that 
sometimes will matter to a meaningful degree. But we had one recently where someone had their credit frozen with the three majors, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. And then some of the cell phone stores and carriers used this obscure credit agency that someone was able to open an account for cell phone service and get fancy cell phones with somebody else's stolen identity. So you cannot prevent every eventuality and every possibility. And I'd say if you do the Equifax TransUnion Experian, you're going to eliminate 90 plus percent, probably 95 plus percent of the potentials for financial identity fraud and theft. And if you want to just keep adding one small uh, specialty bureau after another, go right ahead. But even for an identity theft freak like me, it's too much. And I want to thank you for being a part of Team Clark. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And remember, watch out for your older relatives. 